A very good evening once again in power. Thank you to the three, four, five amens that I heard. Good evening in power. Are we good tonight? Won't you ask your neighbor next to you and say, are you good tonight? Are you good tonight? Because I'm good tonight. A very good evening to everybody who's joining us online. Welcome to church. Thank you. Won't you share the stream? and invite somebody to church tonight. I'm pretty excited and challenged at the same time with the Word tonight. And, and I pray that it, it, it blesses you. And I pray more than that, that it challenges you. Because I was very much challenged. And I think for the past few weeks, we've been journeying as a church to a whole new dimension. And it's been phenomenal as we go deeper and deeper and deeper. It's been amazing to witness, but it's also been amazing just to be a part of it because God is on the move, family. God is on the move. I'd like to take this moment just to greet and to thank our senior pastors, Pastor Shannon, who is here tonight. Can we appreciate her and honor her tonight? As well as Prophet Gerbert in his absence, who is in Durban delivering some amazing news. We are excited for what God is doing in Durban. And in His absence, we just want to honor Him. I think we can give Him a better clap than that. Amen and amen and amen. I'm going to try not to be very long. Um, I've been told that I'm a I'm a long preacher. I don't know what that means, but that I preach quite long. I think the youth have, have really almost crucified me, showing me the time. So if I do go overboard, just throw a shoe or something at me, and I'll know that it's time to stop. But as I said, family, tonight I pray that the Word challenges you. I pray that the Word really ignites something in you tonight. I think... The word that, that, that the Lord has laid on my heart is, is nothing new, but more of an emphasis for the urgency there is in Christians to wake up. Won't you say to your neighbor next to you, wake up. Okay, so I'm a, I'm a young preacher and, and I preach with the crowd. So say preach with the preacher. I think I stole it from Pastor Gerbert. So, but preach with the preacher. Now and again, I'll throw in something for you to say. But won't you say to your neighbor, wake up. You see, church, tonight, I really want to emphasize the urgency that we're living in. The urgency to come back to God wholeheartedly. I think it's something that we know, but we take so lightly and we take it for granted. You know, I was having a chat with somebody and I say, you know, it's, a, it's so shocking and so scary to know that the Christians, Christians are the most nonchalant people about their faith. It got very quiet. Maybe let me say it this side. Christians are the most nonchalant people about what they believe. What do I mean by that? is that you look at every other type of faith and you look at the devotion and you look at the dedication thereof and you compare it with the Christians and you can see a vast difference. I mean, let's look at the Muslims. Some of the, te are the teachers in the house? 
we've got some teachers who are at school. If a Muslim child is supposed to write an exam on a Muslim holiday, do you see them at school? You will not see them. They are willing to even close their shops at 12 o'clock because it's time to pray. It's true. It's true. Yet we call a prayer service and you see just a handful of people coming to church. So Christians, and it's not in an accusational way, but it's more in a convicting way to say, Christians, we've become extremely lazy in our devotion to God. We want what is convenient. We want what works for us. Well, I've got news for us, family. This thing is not about us. It's about the King. We subscribe to a different kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus Christ that He bled for, that He died for. And therefore, it cannot be about any of us. It can't be family. But yet, we are the most nonchalant people about our religion. I don't even want to call it a religion. That's a taboo. About our faith. Take 10 seconds. That's too much. Take 5 seconds. Think about your own life. Has there been times in your own life, in your walk with Christ, where you've been nonchalant? relaxed, easygoing about your faith. Feel the Spirit of the Lord say, hey, fast. And you're like, Ish, I'll do a 66. I've been there, family. I can confess on stage. Clearly hearing the voice of God saying, hey, given, go into time of fasting and praying. And I say, yeah, and I'll do a Daniel's fast. And I'll hear the Spirit of the Lord say, no, go dry. And I say, Ish, the first three days I'll try and trying to get are you with me family I, it's too quiet in this place I don't know if the word is already hitting that spot already but it's gonna get better let's quickly turn our, our Bibles to the book of 2nd Timothy chapter 3 right it's not the main scripture of tonight but it's just something that I just want to bring under attention as we start off the evening. 2 Timothy 3, in the New International Version, says the following. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness by den but denying its power and ends by saying in verse 5, have nothing to do with such people. I'm reading this because I, I want us to, to have a reality of the times that we are living in. We don't have to guess what is described in 2 Timothy 3 and what Paul is saying to Timothy is something that we're seeing in our day and age. Amen? You, you, you turn to your left and, and it's there. You see abusive people. You, you see treacherous people. You see rash and conceited. You see proud people, lovers of money. You turn to your right, you see the same thing. You go to the east, you see the same thing. You turn on your television, you see the same thing. You go to the schools, you see the same thing. And what is sad is that sometimes you come to the churches and you see the same thing. 
That is the sad part, is that it's creeping into the church. And you find Christians who are slanderous, Christians who are abusive, proud, unforgiving. But I want to take us to the scripture because I want to, I want to challenge us tonight. Isaiah 60. Isaiah 60 says this. Arise. Let me read it in the passion, not in the amplified version. I liked it earlier on. It says, Arise from spiritual depression to a new life. Shine, be radiant with the glory and brilliance of the Lord. For your light has come, and the glory and brilliance of the Lord has risen upon you. And as I read the scripture, I felt so challenged in my own heart that it's time for Christians to stop being nonchalant. It's time for us as the people of God to stop being relaxed and see what is happening and rise up and take up our positions as sons and daughters of Christ. You see, for as long as Christians don't arise, for as long as the sons and daughters don't arise, it will always seem as if darkness has the upper hand. But what is amazing is that we know how the story ends. But in the interim, God is calling us to say, hey, come up, stand up, take up your position. You can't live in victory. You can't let darkness have the upper hand. Arise, arise, arise. What you say to your neighbor next to you? Arise. It's time to rise up, family. It's time to take up our position as children of God. I get excited because there's so many times when, when even in my own work, I get intimidated by the enemy and I get intimidated. I'm not saying that he wins, but I'm saying I get intimidated because of the things that come, the things that happen in my life. But constantly I get challenged by Holy Spirit. Say, given, arise, arise. You've been chosen, you've been called, you've been set apart. The light has risen upon you. And I think that is what God is saying to all of us as a body of Christ to say, arise, stand up, stand up, stand up. It's not time to sit down. It's not time to sleep. It's not time to be afraid. It is time to arise and take up your position. And now, family, the way we can do this, taking up our position and arising and running full steam ahead, is if our hearts are on fire for God. If our hearts are on fire for God. Because if our hearts are not ablaze, if our hearts are not ignited, and if we are not on fire for God, we will not see the urgency in what God is saying we need to do. We will be satisfied with coming to church. We will be satisfied with saying amen at the right place. We will be satisfied with just giving just enough. We will be satisfied with mediocre because our hearts are not in it. And even tonight, as, we, as I was reading the scripture in Matthew 15, where it says we honor Him with our lips. Yes, the Christians, we are such great pretenders because we can come and say, oh, 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 I want
on Jesus but we leave that door and Jesus stays behind in the building and instead of saying take the world and giving him give me him we take the world back on our shoulders and we continue with our week and tomorrow next week Sunday when we come back we leave the world at the gate we come back we put on Jesus again and that's a cycle that many of us live in that's a cycle that many Christians live in and that's why we don't see victory we don't see victory why because we have not come to a place where our hearts are on fire for God where our hearts are ablaze for God and tonight I just want us to take a bit of a journey speaking about a heart on fire for God I mean let me start by asking this question do you think your heart is on fire Thank you, Pastor Shermaine. Your spot is reserved in heaven. The rest of us. <laughs> is, your fire on, is your fire on heart for God? Is your heart on fire for God? Is it cold? Is it lukewarm? What's the state of your heart? You see, sometimes we don't take time to examine our hearts. We don't take time to examine our hearts. And the heart can be so deceitful. And that's why it needs to be on fire for God. Let's quickly turn to this story. Interestingly enough, in the book of Luke chapter 24. And we will read from verse 13. Is everybody still all right? Let's get reignited tonight. Let's trust God that He will ignite our hearts. But it will start with a response, family. It will start with that response of saying, Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Nothing else. I was saying to the youth on Friday that it is so sad. The Bible says that what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? yet lose his soul. You see, as Esu traded his birthright for a bowl of soup, some of us are busy trading eternity for temporary pleasure. Some of us are busy trading everlasting life with the King for a temporary moment on earth. Because earth, our life on earth is but a vapor. That spoke to me. But Luke chapter 24, verse 13. And then the very day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. I hope I pronounced it right. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. So to give you a bit of context, we see two disciples. They, they, they are on the road and it's a Sunday or the third day after Jesus was crucified and buried. 
And they're having a discussion about the things that they witnessed while Jesus was alive and the things he did up until his crucifixion. So verse 14 says, And they were talking with each other about all things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing it, Jesus himself came up and began walking with them. But their eyes were miraculously prevented from recognizing him. Verse 17, Then Jesus asked them, What are you discussing with one another as you are walking along? And they stood still, looking heartbroken or brokenhearted. One of them named Cleopas, okay, answered him and said, Are you the only stranger visiting Jerusalem who is unaware of the things which had happened, which have happened here in these recent days? He asked, What things? And they replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful indeed, and word, uh, powerful indeed and word in the sight of God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and crucified him. But we are hoping that it is he, but we were hoping that it is, was he who was going to redeem Israel and set our nation free. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. Verse 22, And also some of the women among us shocked us. They were at the tomb earlier in the morning and they did not find his body. They came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the woman had said, but they did not see him. Then Jesus said to them, O oh, foolish men, and of slow of heart to trust and believe in the everything that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and only then to enter his glory? Then beginning with Moses and throughout all the writings of the prophets, he explained and interpreted for them the things referring to himself found in the scriptures. I'm almost done, bear with me. Then they approached the village where they were going and he acted as if he was going further. But they argued, they urged him not to go on, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening, and the day has just about the day has just about ended. So he went inside to stay with them. And it happened that he reclined at the table with them. He took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. Verse 31: Their eyes were suddenly opened by God. And they clearly recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and opening the scriptures to us? Such a random story to speak about as we're speaking about hearts ablaze and just a bit of a focus on that scripture. And they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us, by the way, and while he opened to us the scripture. Couple of things that I want us just to journey through. First thing is, what is a burning heart? How can we describe a burning heart? A burning heart is a renewed heart. 
a renewed devotion to the Lord. It is the opposite of a cold heart. It's a new or renewed devotion to the Lord. That's a burning heart. Here's another question or maybe statement. How can we, maybe yeah, it's a question. How can we be sure that this description is accurate? And I think for me personally, when I look at scripture, I look at what fire symbolizes in scripture. And in some of the scriptures as we read, for example, let's take Genesis 15, um, 17. It was a smoking furnace and burning lamp that passes between that passed between the pieces of the sacrifice, which confirmed uh, when God confirmed His covenant with Abraham. Number one. Number two. It was the pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire that God led the children of God out of Israel, out of Egypt. Uh, children of Israel out of Egypt's bondage, right? Number three, God had spoken to Moses from a burning bush. Amen. Number four, and then again in the, at Mount Sinai, Exodus 19, 18, we see God descending like a fire. Amen. In a fire. And then later also, New Testament, book of Acts chapter 2, God descends upon the disciples in the upper room. Holy Spirit comes in as they were praying and what seemed to be tongues of fire rested upon them. So continuously we see how fire represents a presence of God. God is present. God is here. Amen. So now with that said, we can appropriate the definition of a burning heart. Are you ready for it? We can appropriate the definition of a burning heart as a heart on fire for God because of His presence. Amen. It's a heart on fire for God because of His presence. It's a heart full of God's presence. A heart totally devoted to God. Amen. Perhaps family, we can go this direction and ask, how can we get a burning heart. First and foremost, it is ignited by the Scriptures. It is ignited by the Scriptures. It is the Word of God that ignites a passion, that ignites a, a hunger, that ignites a fire in us for God. If we don't read the Scriptures, then what are we on fire for? What are we on fire for? We can continue saying, yeah, I'm, fire off. I'm, I'm on fire for God. But if we don't read the Scriptures, you don't even know why you're on fire. Yeah. It's like going to, to, to a burning building and when you see a burning building or you go to a wildfire and you see a wildfire, the first question that you ask is, what caused the fire? I, I mean, it just didn't miraculously happen that there was a wildfire on the mountain. Somebody lit a cigarette or a matchstick or something and, be, and just ran wild. 
but what caused the fire. And in our case, what ignites a fire in us, in our hearts, is the very Scriptures, the Word of God. And when you notice in the Scripture that I just read, as the disciples said that, weren't our hearts burning while He was talking and opening up the Scriptures? It's exactly that. You want to be on fire? Open up the Scripture. The Lord says to Joshua, says meditate on it day and night. 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 I think sometimes it's still a bit of a challenge for the day and night. I'm one of those people that says, I'll do it in the day. During the night, I, I need to sleep a bit. But day and night. Day and night. Most of us, most of the time, we, we are willing to spend hours and hours watching TV, Netflix. We can spend hours on our cell phones. We can spend hours on, on menial things. Things that don't add value to us. Things that don't ignite that passion. Things that don't ignite that fire in us. And we neglect that which is important. Family, we're in a church where the Word of God is preached so profoundly and we receive good bread. But I think the responsibility still lies with us to go back and to dig deep into the Word of God. You cannot survive just on Sunday. You cannot survive just on a snack that you receive or just one meal, if I can say that. And it is a good meal, but it's not enough. You need to go home. You need to go back. Get into the Word. Study it. It is important. If you value your life, you will value the Word. I want to repeat that statement. If you value your life, you will value the Word. Because the Word is life. The Word is life. Scripture doesn't contradict itself. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh. The Bible says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If you value your life, you value Jesus, and you value His Word. Amen. We value the Word of God. We sometimes make time for a lot of things. But I think in a 24-hour cycle, it is time that we dedicate a big portion of it to reading Scripture. The society that we live in, the time that we live in, has conditioned us to making the Bible or to making Scripture part of our lives. But Scripture is not part of our lives. Scripture is our life. Scripture is our life. I was saying to one young person, says, the mistake that we're making is that we read Scripture as a historic book. We read the Bible as an historic book telling us about things that happened. But we forget that the Bible is both in present tense, in future tense, and past tense. It speaks about the past, it speaks about our present, and it speaks about the future. So we are living the Bible. The Bible is not something that happened. The Bible is something that I'm living. Actively so, every day. If I value my life, I will value 
the word. Our hearts will not burn if we do not open the scriptures. There's a saying that says that a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to somebody who isn't. <laughs> I, I disagree a little bit with that because mine is not falling apart. Mine is still very much intact. But it's true. The analogy thereof to say that a Bible that's being read over and over and over and over again belongs to somebody who walks in victory. Belongs to somebody who walks in abundance. Belongs to somebody who is intimate with the Master. Amen. Ah, this is good. Let's quickly take a look at two sisters. We know the story. Two sisters, Mary and Martha. Can I just see by a show of hands? How many of us believe or think that we're a Martha? Thank you, one, two honest people. I'm one of the Marthas in the house. How many of us truly believe that we are Marys? Okay, some of us don't know what that means, but let me quickly go back to it. So here's the thing, is that Jesus comes to visit. As Jesus comes to visit, you find two sisters, and Martha is like, you know our, our moms, when we get visitors? Enough said. I'm not going to continue. But Mary and Martha, in the same household, they begin to, to prepare for Jesus. And as Jesus arrives in the house, we see how Martha continues to be about serving the master and serving the people in the house and waiting on people and doing what is necessary so that Jesus can feel honored. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing absolutely wrong with that. But we see a Mary who sits at the feet of Jesus and begins to soak in what Jesus has for her. Family, I always read the scripture and many a times when I examine my own life, I usually find seasons where I'm a Mary and I'm sitting like, Jesus, I just want you. Jesus, I just want you. And there are times when I'm a Martha and I'm walking around and I'm so busy for the Lord that I miss the Lord Himself. And I think many of us, we, we, we're at a place where we, we're not Marthas. I mean, we're not Marys. We are Marthas in a sense that we are taking the things that we need to do so that we can be in right standing. I need to go to church. I'm at church. Tick. I need to read my Bible. I read it. Tick. I need to pray. I pray. Tick. But it's not about doing the right things. It's about dwelling with the Master. It's about being at the feet of the Master. I was saying to the youth the other day that it is such a sad truth that some of us are going to praise our way all to hell. Hear me singing. I have decided to follow Jesus. But Jesus is going that direction. That direction. And we become so blinded by our works. We become so blinded by the fact that I'm going to church every Sunday. That's foolish. Extremely foolish. If I stand in a car, if I stand in a garage for a year or so, I will not become a car. I will not become a car. If I swim and I stay in the dam for hours on end, I will not become a fish. 
nor will I become a mermaid. If I swing on trees, I will not become a monkey. I might act like one. I might act like a very good monkey. But I'm not a monkey. Doing the right things doesn't often mean that your heart is in the right place. We see it over and over again. Where people are doing the right things. Saying the right things. Their appearance seems right. Reminds me of the story in the book of Samuel. Where Samuel goes to anoint the boys. And they're standing there. And Jesus says, I don't look at what you're doing. I don't look at your outward appearance. It's the heart. That's what I'm after. It's a heart. It's the heart. This afternoon as I was praying, the Lord said this to me. And it shook me and I almost cried. And I said, Lord, you can't hit me with such a bomb just before I go to preach. And he says, given, you can be after my, you can be after my heart while I'm detesting yours. Maybe let me repeat it. We can be people after God's heart, but our con the condition of our hearts, God detests. Go read the book of Proverbs. Talks about the kind of heart that God detests. How do we know this? Look at David. David, a man after God's heart, yet his sin brought him pain and sorrow. He compromised his fellowship with God. But he was still a man after God's heart. I can come and say, Lord, I want to serve you with all of my life. I want to serve you with everything. God's going to check the heart. God is going to look within and says, no, that's all good. And fix that. Fix that. And you know what's the amazing thing? God is not responsible for our hearts. Family, God is not responsible for our hearts. We are the bishops of our own hearts. We are responsible for our own hearts. We are responsible for the condition of our hearts. The colder we grow, it's not God's fault. Nor is it anybody's fault. It's my fault. Just as much as the hotter I go, you know sometimes when you grow cold and we become lukewarm, we want to blame so many things. I want to blame my circumstances. I want to blame the devil. I want to blame this and that. But when I'm on fire and I'm in a good space, I want to take all the credit. Oh yes, I've been fasting and yes, I've been praying. But even the negative so, you are the bishop of your heart. So Mary was there. Martha was busy for the Lord and doing what needed to, to be done. And here's the thing, Mary demanded from the Lord. Demanded more. It's like, God, I want more. Jesus, I want more. I want more. But as she was in that place trying to get more, her sister wants to rebuke her. In fact, she wanted the Lord to rebuke her. She wants Jesus to rebuke her and says, listen, Lord, straighten her out. She's out of order. Rebuke her, for she's not helping. But the Lord gave Martha the rebuke. It says, Martha, Martha, 
what you're doing it's not important what Mary is doing that's what's important sitting at my feet Jesus told her that while she was very busy and serving she missed the most important part but Mary had chosen to sit at the feet the most necessary thing and perhaps maybe Jesus is not in the flesh this evening but we can sit at the feet of Jesus by dwelling into the scriptures Amen. Martha was busy with what was temporary, but Mary was busy with what cannot be taken away from her. She was busy with what is eternal. Here's the thing, family. Sometimes in our Christian life, our choices are not between what is good and evil. And I think that what, that's what blinds us. And I think that's what, that, that's what really becomes a veil in our lives. Is that our choices is not between good and evil. But our choices are usually, or the choices that we usually must make, are choices between what is good and what is best. Paul says, not everything that is good is beneficial. Meaning that even though you serve, even though you do what is right, it's not the most beneficial thing. Even me standing here in this pulpit preaching does not mean that my heart is in the right place. What is important, what is beneficial, what is the best is me given sitting at the feet of Jesus and ensuring that I, my heart is right before Him, that my heart is on fire for Him. Because you see, even though I can preach and say things and serve God and, and do miracles and whatever, if my heart is not right, means nothing. Means nothing. Where is your heart tonight, family? What is the condition of your heart? What is the state of your heart? We are often so consumed by many good activities. We are so consumed by good ideas of what God wants. You know, I have the privilege of le leading the youth and sometimes I sit in that office and, and I try to strategize as to how we're going to lead the youth, what we're gonna do, what needs to be done. And family, I, I, I promise you, there's so many things that are good ideas. Good ideas that can flood this place with young people. But then again, the Lord draws me to their attention, or draws my attention rather, to what will be beneficial for these young people. Because not every good idea will benefit them. I can throw the biggest party and get the whole neighborhood here. But at the end of the day, they, they leave and it's, it was just a party. But what is it that will be beneficial? That's me leading them into the scriptures, leading them to Jesus. Amen. Let's not be consumed by the ideology of good works. If I do this and I do that enough and I do that enough and then I'm okay. It's in Him. It's in Jesus. It's in Jesus. 
spend more time with Jesus. Many of us neglect what is important, which is spending time with Jesus. Spend time with Jesus. Spend time with Jesus. And I was so challenged the other day, family, I'm going to come in for a landing very soon. And, and here's the thing is that I was challenged that sometimes in spending time with Jesus, it, for us, it looks like us just praying, 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 praying. And I remember the one time I got so challenged that there's, there's a difference between going into spiritual warfare and spending time with Jesus. Because sometimes I want to suggest things to God. I want to tell God what to do. I want to tell God how the outcome must be. And I want to tell God this and ask for that. Can we really say that that's spending time? I think spending time with Jesus looks like Jesus speaking to us. And sometimes it's not as complex as hearing a voice that says, given. No, it's not that. But just getting into the scripture, basic, reading the word, Jesus speaks back to you. You see, spending time with Jesus shouldn't be a monologue where it's just us speaking to him all the time. But it should be us waiting on Him, listening to Him. Jesus, what are you saying? Jesus, what is it that you want? And majority of the time, yes, there's visions and dreams and whatnot in various ways that the Lord speaks to us. So let's start by getting to the Scripture, sitting down. Lord, illuminate the Scriptures to me. What are you saying to me? What must I take from this? What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? Jesus is looking for true worshipers. Worshipers who will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The time has come for us as Christians to be as serious as to say, Father, if it is not you, I don't want it. The time has come for us as Christians to say, Lord, I will seek you and I will seek you diligently until I find you. Not just seek you. It's not just playing hide and seek and seek and just counting up to 10 and say, here I come. I say, Lord, I will seek you diligently. When it's raining, I will seek you. When it's scorching hot, I will seek you. When it's windy, I will seek you. When things are right, I will seek you. When things are wrong, I will seek you. When it gets tough, I will seek you. When it's easy, I will seek you. And I will seek you diligently. And I will seek you with everything in me. The time has come, family, for Christians to rise up and stop being lazy and stop being nonchalant and stop being so relaxed because time is running out. Time is running out. Before you know it, the trumpet will be blown and we'll be going to heaven and we'll be waving goodbye to you because you are lazy. No offense to anybody. The time has come. God is seeking for our fellowship. God is asking for our communion. God is making that invitation and saying, family, son, daughter, it's not about what you can do for me. I am God. I can do everything by myself. I am choosing you. But first and foremost, I want you to have communion with me. I want you to be intimate with me. I want you to have a relationship with me. Our response needs to be, yes, Lord. I will seek you. Yes, Lord, 
I want to commune with you. Yes, Father, I want to have an intimate relationship with you. You see, God will never force Himself on us. And God will never force His agenda on us. He communicates it. And He says, this is it. This is it. This is it. Our responsibility is to choose it. Our responsibility is to respond and say, Jesus, yes. Father God, yes. I'm coming for you. Is anybody with me, family? Amen. The disciples wanted Him. So much so that in the scripture, look, you see that as Jesus was pretending, or oh, Jesus wanted to go a bit farther, they said to him, say, no, don't go. Stay. Stay. They enjoyed his presence. They enjoyed what, they were, what he was saying. He, the, he, their hearts were burning. And they said, no, Jesus. They didn't even know it's Jesus at that time. But they said, no, stay. Stay. We want you here. And I want to encourage us tonight, family, that let's be like those disciples who says, no, Jesus, stay. Jesus, it's you that I want. Jesus, it's your feet that I want to be at. Nothing else, nothing satisfies me. Nothing gives me that pleasure. Nothing is, it gives me hope. It is you and it is you alone. Sometimes we get so distracted by the things that happen around us. That even as Jesus leaves, well, He'll never leave us nor forsake us. But then when we move away from Jesus, we don't even realize it. We don't realize that we're growing cold. We don't realize that we're moving further and further away from Him. Family, I want to come in for a closing. See, changed hearts equal to change lives. It first starts with the heart. It first starts with your heart. If your heart is on fire for God, your life will be changed forever. I think many of us can attest to that. That as long as our hearts are on fire for Jesus, we see it physically manifest in reality. As long as our hearts are burning, we see it manifest in our circumstances, in our situations, in, in our challenges, in all of these things. And man, I'm not saying that life is going to be easier. It's easy, it might be easier. But here's the thing, is that as long as we're there by the source of life and we give ourselves devotedly to Him, there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing that can steal anything from us. Not even the enemy himself. Changed hearts changes lives. Fires, hearts on fire changes lives. It changes the course of our direction, the course of our journey is that the moment your heart is on fire, it's like a young man, and I'm, I might get crucified for this, but it's like a young man falling in love. And Pastor Wade maybe can attest, I'm kidding, Pastor Wade. But when a man falls in love and his heart is on fire, 
for this flower, because we, we call them flowers in, you know, traditionally, when you go pay lobola, you go to the house and you say, we've seen a flower in the house. You know, am I wrong? I am wrong. I'm not wrong. Okay. <laughs> so, but when a man meets the love of his life, that man is willing to do anything and everything to protect what he has found. Am I right, Pastor Wade? Pastor Wade, you're sleeping. Come on. Am I right, Pastor Stefan? Man, I've seen Pastor Stefan with Pastor Milani. But let's not go there. I love them very much. When a man finds, it's like the scripture of the treasure, the hidden treasure. When you find your hidden treasure, you're willing to do everything to protect it. When our hearts are on fire, we're willing to do anything and everything and forsake anything and everything to protect what we have. To protect what we have. And I'm saying we need to protect this, this flame that's in us with everything in us. We need to protect what we have with Jesus with everything. Amen. I don't know if I'm talking to somebody tonight, but I hope it challenges you. The disciples, after they encountered Jesus, unknowingly so, their attitude, their minds changed. They stopped moaning about his death and they started proclaiming that he was alive. Think about it. They're there walking in the street, talking, and all they were doing is moaning, moaning. Oh, Jesus this, Jesus that. Jesus comes and says, hey, listen, it was supposed to happen. It was supposed to happen. Our, the, the Son of Man had to be crucified. He had to suffer these things. And they went from moaning about His death to proclaiming His resurrection, that He is alive. And I don't know what we're moaning about. Ah, oh, church. I heard somebody say that. Okay, now let me go. Now let me not go there. But church is too long. Yes, he celebrate the fact that eternity is even longer. Come on, that has to move somebody. I hear you can't worship God for two hours. I don't know what you're going to do in heaven. I'm going to have a bit of challenge. And I'm not saying we should unnecessarily go long. I'm just saying that the moment you are in a place where you are on fire, time becomes irrelevant. The world becomes irrelevant. Your surrounding becomes irrelevant. Because your heart is burning for the one. It's burning for the one. Many times when I find myself irritated in church, I check my heart. Given where's your heart? Oh, that worship song was not right. Oh, that guy missed the key. Oh, you know, that song is, oh, the word was not. Because my heart is cold. My heart is cold. Family, I don't want to waste further time, but I hope it challenged somebody tonight. Do you have a heart for God? Have you placed your faith in the finished work of the cross of Calvary? Are you burning for Jesus? 
from within. Are you burning for Jesus? Or has coming to church become just a traditional thing that I have to do on a Sunday? My walk with Christ, is it simply because I don't want to go to hell? Or am I in love with the Master? Am I in love with Jesus? Am I on fire for Jesus? Just three last points and I'm done. The big question is, do we have burning hearts for the Lord? And I want to bring these three things to you. Family, number one, sin will immediately quench the burning heart. If you live in sin, we can't even think that our hearts are close to being warm. Very cold. And sometimes we look at sin and we, we look at the obvious sins of the flesh. It's many of us who struggle with sins of the heart. Unforgiveness, bitterness, pride, anger, rage. And we struggle with these sins and they keep dampening and weakening the fire that's in us because it's not in the nature of Jesus. It's not in the nature of Christ. Family, second point is this. Let's not get so busy in our lives that we begin to crowd God out with other priorities that smothers the fire in our hearts. Let's not get so busy. We're having a chat with Riyakar the other day and saying it's so easy to get an excuse not to be active in our faith. It's so easy to justify not to be active in your walk with Christ. The Bible says that work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling. And some of us have lost that part of fear and trembling and we're just going with it as it is convenient to us. But with fear and with trembling, meaning that I need to consider that the Lord is holy and therefore I must be holy. That the Lord requires total devotion from me. That God requires of me to die to self. God requires of me to deny the world. And God requires of me to choose Him daily, take up my cross and follow Him. That is what He requires. Your job won't get you to heaven. Your family won't get you to heaven. Your children, your spouse, your friends, they won't get you to heaven. Your problems, they won't get you to heaven. Sometimes we escalate our problems and magnify them. Anything else won't get us to heaven, but it is Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the hope of glory that will get us to heaven. It is about Him. It is about Him. Listen. Jesus is not part of our story. We are part of His story. Hey, here's a big one. You see, we cannot make the source of life a part of life. We cannot make the source of life a part of life. He is everything. In Him, we move and have our being. 
So that means that He is priority. He is number one. There is no other. Let's not be fooled, family. There is no other answer. There is no other life. It is Jesus. Church is not the answer. Yes, come to church because we introduce you to the answer. Pastors are not the answer, but yes, pastors are important because they lead you to the answer. As Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. We say, come in power. Let's follow our leaders as they, teach, as they lead us to Christ. But they are not the answers. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the one that we need to pursue on a daily with all of our hearts, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. And I don't care how young you are or how old you are, it is not too late. But if you wait any longer, it might be too late because we don't know the time nor the hour. There is an urgency for us to get our hearts hot again, to get our hearts ablaze again. I told you I'm a long preacher, I'm closing. If we neglect the Word of God, number three, if we neglect God's Word, as Pastor Stefan comes closer. Pastor Stefan, just wait a minute. I'm kidding. If we neglect God's Word, we neglect spending time with Him. In, sorry, let me read it again. I made the notes and then I'm not reading it right. If we neglect God's Word, if we neglect spending time with Him in prayer and fellowship, our hearts will begin to cool and our activity will begin to slow to a stop. If anything that you've heard from me tonight, our hearts can be ignited by spending time in Scripture. But our hearts or the fire gets intensified by spending time with God. Can I repeat that for us? All the young people, you can quote me on Facebook, WhatsApp, IG. Our hearts can be ignited by Scripture, but the fire will be intensified by communion with the Father. Let's go back to that place. Family, it has never been this urgent. It has never been this urgent. Let's go back. Let's go back. Let's go back. Let's go back. If you've ever watched Titanic, the scene where Rose is on the waters and the boat is leaving her, and she doesn't have a voice, like, go back. Let's go back, family. Let's go back to that place where all we want is Jesus. But where all we want is fellowship and communion with the Father. Without Jesus, there is no life. It's not life. John 15 says, I am the true vine. The Father is the God. He who abides in me bears fruit. But if you don't abide in me, what needs to happen to you is you need to be broken off, trampled upon, 
and thrown into the fire. Let's not be thrown into the fire, but let our hearts be set ablaze and be on fire for God. And tonight, family, I want to make an invitation before I call pastors here for now. Won't we come back to that place? Worship team, you can join us. And I want us to sing that song again. I have decided to follow Jesus. And let's sing it and say, Lord, set our hearts again on fire for you. And may that fire never be quenched by anything. Make the decision tonight to say, I deny myself. I deny the world. I take up my cross and I follow Jesus. I live a life that's on fire for Jesus. Family, can I invite you to stand on your feet with me? And if that's you tonight that says, you know, I want to devote myself to Jesus yet again with everything that's in me. No turning back. No going back. No looking back. Family, when you're reading the Bible and you read about the story of Lot, his wife looked back. He didn't even go, she didn't even go back. She just looked back. And sometimes that's what we do. We just look back, keep looking back at our, at our bondage, our baggage, our sickness, our everything. We just keep looking back. Let's look at Jesus and focus on Him. No looking back. No turning back. As we sing this song, and if that's you tonight, won't you come and kneel before the Lord? I really believe that this is a personal choice. I mean, we can pray with you that Holy Spirit helps you along this journey, which He will. But it's a choice that you need to make. Because you see, when you start going astray, we hold you accountable to your choice. To your choice. But if the pastor forces you and shoves Jesus down your throat, then tomorrow you're going to say, He made me. I didn't even believe. It's your choice. Family, I want to be as bold as you say, husband and wife, it's not your spouse's choice. It's your choice. It's beautiful when two walk in agreement and they both serve the Lord. That's amazing. But it remains your choice. It's you tonight and saying, I just want to devote myself again to the Lord. I just want the Lord to just ignite that fire in me again. Won't you come and just surrender yourself here at the altar? Won't you come to the front and, and just give yourself to Him? Just kneel before Him.